Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. My name is Dick, and I'm an alcoholic. Everybody, but for the grace of God and the actions of AA and sponsorship, I've been sober since September the 15th, 1965, and I'm very pleased about that. The key to sobriety, in my mind, and has been ever since I first came into Alcoholics Anonymous, was the fact that I had a sponsor, that I had somebody very from the very beginning to be able to translate AA for me because I didn't understand AA. I uh, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous because I had what I viewed as a problem with alcohol. Uh, if I viewed that I'd had a problem with something else, I would have gone to something else. But I viewed that I had a problem with alcohol, and so I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, much to uh, my amazement as I look back on it now, I uh, attended my first AA meeting in a, uh, on a September evening in Silver Spring, Maryland. And I uh, walked down the steps to that meeting, and there was about 90 people in the room, and it was equally divided into two groups. And I was in one, and they were in the other. And uh, that's the way I felt about it. That's the way I felt about it. At that particular meeting, uh, it was a service meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the man who was to become my sponsor uh, was a past delegate, and he uh, uh, was going out there to back up one of his uh, one of the guys that he sponsored, who was putting on a presentation of service in Alcoholics Anonymous, how we serve. And they uh, showed a film strip, somewhat like Circles of Love and Service, and it described this, the uh, the uh, structure of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, at that particular meeting, uh, I know full well that they didn't say, don't take the first drink. They didn't say, keep coming back. They didn't say anything. You know, they didn't say anything that would lend towards an alcoholic's recovery from alcoholism. Uh, and the amazing thing is, as I look back on it now, is that I'm still sober. The, uh, uh, I know that not remembering that experience uh, when I was somewhat when I'd, when I'd been sober for a little while, and I'd taken gone on a 12-step call and I'd taken somebody to an AA meeting, I uh, I uh, thought to myself before I take this guy to this meeting, you know, I better find out who's going to speak or who's going to be there uh, to make sure that he gets the message, because if he doesn't get the message. He isn't going to come back to Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's going to be the end of it. And uh, I can remember many times sitting in an AA meeting with a new guy and having someone up at the podium talking about uh, uh, perhaps waxing eloquently on some spiritual phase of Alcoholics Anonymous, talking about God of all things. I can remember distinctly one evening doing that, and I can remember sitting there and thinking to myself, this guy will never come back. There's no way that he's ever going to come back to Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And after the speaker was through, this guy turned around to me and said, wasn't that magnificent? What a, what a tremendous talk that that guy made. What an unveiling of his own life and his own feelings with this guy did. And I just sat there and scratched my head. Oh, he sure did. <laughs> what I'm, what, the message I'm trying to get across uh, by relaying those simple experiences to you is that sponsors don't know the answer. Sponsors don't know the answer. Uh, I didn't know the answer. Now, I don't have today any answers for the guys that I sponsor. Sponsors don't supply answers. What the sponsor is supposed to do is to encourage the people that they sponsor to place themselves in the environment of recovery, which is an AA meeting like this, or a, uh, a conference like uh, we're going, going through this weekend, or like uh, uh, sitting over a cup of coffee at uh, Village Inn or some coffee place, or sitting over a, a cup of coffee over a kitchen table, or riding to and from meetings with someone who's been sober longer than you are and getting the information from that direction. Uh, I really think that uh, uh, I learned much more coming and going to meetings and uh, over cups of coffee in various and sundry places aside from AA meetings than I ever did in an AA meeting. But taking someone to an AA meeting does something else entirely. And what it does is it shows them the diversity of the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. It shows them that uh, they're both men and women, and they're young, and they're old, and they're fat, and they're skinny, and they're tall, and they're short. And some of them have brown eyes, and some of them got blue eyes. You know, they're girls and boys, and somewhere in between sometimes. Uh, but all sorts of people at all ages, and that as a matter of fact, what ends up happening, it's that conglomerate of experience and the experience of seeing those people which can encourage anyone to stay sober. Uh, if you go or I go on a 12-step call, for an example, uh, they think that AA is filled with people like you or I because we're the only ones that they know. They're, we're the only representative Alcoholics Anonymous that they see. And so if I go on a 12-step call and it's a young man, he thinks that everybody in AA is ancient. I'm not really ancient. But, you know, I feel like I'm ancient sometimes. But the point about it is you or I, wherever we are, are a representative of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we have to remember accordingly to be attractive members of Alcoholics Anonymous and to base Every base what we say on a matter of principle and a matter of the program instead of a matter of opinion. We all have opinions. I have opinions on just about everything, and if you're interested in what my opinion is on something, I'll be glad to talk to you after I'm through here. But it's the conglomerate of experience in attending meetings. It's the conglomerate of appearance in a uh, when you attend the meeting, that is the attract, that is the attraction. It, it is not anything else. We absorb when we're new a feeling that it's going to be okay. We don't know that it's going to be okay. We don't make any intellectual decisions when we're new in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, because we can't. Because the intellectual decision maker has been scrambled. 
and uh, it's not it's not capable of making good decisions because and that's obvious by the way and if you have any question of that uh, and if you're new my answer to that is why are you in AA if you make good decisions you know, we're not people who make good decisions and come to AA now, I will admit that the only decision I ever made that was good before I came to AA was a decision to go to AA. And I came about that in a very, very difficult, in a very difficult way. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous because there wasn't any other place for me to go. I exhausted all of the other avenues. And that's what everyone else does. In my experience, that's why people come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Because in their mind, They've exhausted all other avenues for a potential recovery. And if that is in their mind, if that's the reason why they come, not that they were sent by their boss to keep their job or their spouse to keep their marriage or whatever it happens to be, or the police or the courts, but if they go because they have exhausted all other methods, then they have something that is kind of nifty that most of us seem to acquire after we get here, and that is, they acquire a desire to stop drinking. Now, I acquired a desire to stop drinking through some very simple processes. And the process was this, that I, uh, on the, the man who made a 12-step call on me, took me to my first meeting, and I got to know and like and respect him. And I saw and met in subsequent weeks, days and weeks, People that he sponsored and others uh, whom I began to like and respect and get to know. And if you get to like and know and respect people, what happens is you want to be like they are. And I discovered that I wanted to be like these people were. And I looked at them and tried to figure out what it was that they had in common. And what it was that they had in common, as I saw it, was a desire to stop drinking. And so I felt then that I had a desire to stop drinking. When I was new, I didn't. Because I didn't have a desire to stop drinking initially, because physically I was withdrawing from alcohol, uh, my sponsor suggested to me that I take some various and sundry courses of action so that I would feel more comfortable. He said, you're not a diabetic, are you? And I said, no. And he said, well, what I suggest you do then is to eat sugar when you feel like taking a drink. Eat something sweet. Eat a candy bar, go get a milkshake, drink a Coke, do something. But take something sweet into your system because the sweet will give you a physical sense of well-being because alcohol in itself, when it goes into the bloodstream, is converted in large part to sugar. So your body is used to having a lot of sugar in it. So what you do is you eat a large amount of sugar when you're new, generally in AA, uh, because it gives you a physical sense of well-being. It just makes you feel a little bit better. Uh, we worry about the weight that it puts on afterwards. I uh, I came into AA and I weighed about 155 pounds. I was 33 years old. and A little over a year later, I weighed 205 pounds. So I, <clears throat> then, I had to, then I had to do something else. I want to diet and lose that. It's never-ending. But regardless of that, by the time I got around to the point where I weighed 205 pounds, it was kind of an interesting sort of thing. I felt good about myself and good where life was, and my life was, was a thousand times better than it had been when I, when I came into AA.
It was just a thousand times better. And I felt so much better about living, so much better about myself. I had begun to develop a little bit of self-confidence and some dignity, and I felt like it was okay, like life was okay. And I began to feel like it was okay to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's all right to be an alcoholic because I felt better, and I had I was beginning to develop the self-confidence that I believed, quite frankly, that it was really okay with the rest of the world if I was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And as I look back on it now, I can tell you that if I had asked any of those people, they would have said, not only is it okay, it's preferable, because they preferred me sober than drunk. Those who cared for me uh, uh, preferred me that way, and those who didn't care for me uh, preferred me that way. Even my enemies liked me better sober. But I never gained this all by myself. This wasn't something that I did by myself. I have a friend who says that staying sober is just like having sex. It's a hell of a lot more fun than somebody else. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, so I want you to know if we see you wandering around the meetings and by yourself and, and trying to do it by yourself, we also know what the hell else you're doing. So, I uh, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I didn't want to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. It was the last place in the world that I wanted to go. I really didn't want to go. I knew it wouldn't work. If I'd have known what AA really was, I would have really known it wouldn't have worked. So, I'm glad I didn't really know, because if I'd have known what AA really was, I never would have come to Alcoholics Anonymous. I never would have showed up. Never would have walked in the doors. I'm glad that I didn't learn what AA really was, except on a on an incremental basis. That I learned it a little bit by a little bit by a little bit, so that I could learn to tolerate it and live with it and be comfortable with it. I uh, I spent a lot of time with my sponsor. First thing that he told me to do is he says, "I don't want you to take a drink one day at a time. I don't want you to take a drink. I don't want you to smoke any of those funny little cigarettes with no names on them." I don't want you to change, do, take in anything in your system that is going to change you from the neck up. He says, it's okay to take aspirin. Anything else, call me and talk to me about it before you take it to make sure that it's not going to disturb you and to prevent you from getting the message that you need to hear. And uh, later on, the words that I heard in reference to that and which I believe to the, my toes, is you don't drink and you don't use no matter what, even if your ass falls off. And I really believe that. And I believe that because of my experience in trying to help people, once they start drinking or using, and then they're in that process, they don't hear what you have to say. They just can't hear what you have to say. It goes in one ear and right straight out the other. And so you can't be of any help. And I don't want to put myself, nor do I want to see you put yourself beyond any aid. And I'm talking about not only human aid, what little we can do, but I'm talking about any aid that you can gain from a higher power as well, because it's impossible. It's impossible because it's like, it's almost like having a lobotomy, a chemical lobotomy, and it prevents you from being able to think clearly. So, 
<clears throat> I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I attended that meeting and I went out afterwards to a hot shop and I had a hot fudge ice cream cake with marshmallow on it and uh, a Coke. <clears throat> I hadn't eaten anything like that in years. I, it's a wonder I just didn't puke right there. <laughs> but I felt a little bit better after doing it. I felt I didn't feel like I was going to fly apart. Now, I still had to sit on my hands because they were wiggling. But I didn't feel like I was going to really fall apart. I felt if I sat on my hands, they wouldn't, you know, just fly off with my arm. So I was able to feel a little bit better. I was told when I got to work the next day to call my sponsor. And I picked up the phone and I called him. And he said, what I want you to do, he says, when do you think that you can get away from the office? And I said, because I was an outside salesman, and he knew that. And I said, well, I think I can get away in about an hour. He says, okay, I will meet you downstairs. Have your nose pressed up against K Street, and I'll pick you up. And so I went down there, and an hour later, and he picked me up. And he started telling me more about AA. And I was really fascinated about Alcoholics Anonymous. I was fascinated about it because... I really needed something, and I began to get the glimmer of a hope through the translation that my sponsor gave me that maybe I could stay sober too. Just a little bit of hope. Maybe I could stay in AA too. Maybe. I really didn't know that I could, but I thought maybe I could. Because he had been sober for 12 years, and uh, he seemed to be happy, and his life seemed to be good, and he seemed to be getting along well. And so I believed, I began to believe that maybe it could happen to me. And he said, what I suggest you do is I suggest you take this on faith, that what we say is the truth. Just take it on faith, and you can disprove it later on. If you find something that's not the truth, then talk to me first, and we'll chat about it and see where we are. But he said, primarily what I want you to do is take it on faith. Take it on faith that it works. Take it on faith that you can do it. Have a little faith in yourself. Have a little faith that because at that time there were some 200,000 people sober in Alcoholics Anonymous that maybe you can stay sober too. Maybe you can join with us and do what we do and stay sober. And so I went along. I played this sort of game. I, uh, he asked that I not take a drink one day at a time and that I uh, call him on a daily basis and I go to a meeting every night for six weeks, and that I spend as much time with him and other AA members during that first six-week period as I could. He told me that there's no such thing as a dumb question. There are a lot of dumb actions, but there's no such thing as a dumb question in AA. And he says, if you have, hear something in a meeting that you don't understand, or something is going on that you don't understand in AA, ask me about it. Let me tell you what it is. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what's going on. He said, because there are no dumb questions in AA. There's just no such thing. There are a lot of dumb people who don't ask questions and they fail. And he says, you don't have to fail. You can stay sober and live a good life. He told me from the very beginning one thing that I really wanted to hear. He said that, you know, Dick, if you stay sober and active in AA, that you can end up being the person that you really want to be. You can be as loving as you want to be. You can be as bright as you can be. 
you can be you can be as good an employee, you can be as good a son, brother, husband, whatever it happens to be. The only things that are going to slow you down is if you drink or use, is the first thing, and your own desire to do and be that thing, and your own intellect. Because there anybody else going to stop you from doing anything. You can be with whatever you want to be. And I thought to myself, as I had thought sitting on many a bar stool, I thought, you know, I, what I would like to do is I would really just like to be a man. I would really like to feel and act like a man. And as my sponsor says, you know, uh, the desire to feel and act like a man is what drove, you know, what drove him to continue drinking because he never felt like on the inside what other people looked like on the outside. And, uh, that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be, I wanted to be free to feel like <clears throat> I was a man among men and an AA, a member among members, uh, that I was nothing, I didn't want to feel special. I just wanted to feel, I just wanted to feel equal. I, I where I came from, equal was good. I mean, that was way up because I was way down. And I was way down on the totem pole as far as feeling good about myself and good about my, 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 uh, my fellows. I, uh, uh, he taught me that in Alcoholics Anonymous, we, only one person talks at a time. He said, might sound kind of strange to you, but during the meeting time, only one person talks at a time. He said, if it's a discussion meeting, then the person who's talking talks and you listen. When it's your turn to talk, they'll call on you. And don't have private conversations on the side. And if it's a speaker meeting, it's the same basis. You know, you might listen. He says, what you might do is take the cotton out of your ears and listen well and stick it in your mouth. In other words, you have two ears and one mouth, Dick. What you ought to do is listen more than you talk. And that made sense to me because I really didn't know what was going on. He told me that the people in Alcoholics Anonymous that came there before me knew how to do something that I knew how to do. He said, they know how to drink. And he said, you know how to drink. And you both know that and you know it well. But he said, they know something that you don't know. And that's how not to drink and be comfortable. And so what you have to do is to attend meetings to find out how to be comfortable not drinking. And you have to listen to the people who appear to be comfortable in their lives and see what they're doing and watch them and find out as best as you can what they're really doing. And are they really doing what they say they're doing? And are they really, you know, doing as well as they appear to be doing? And if they are, then you do what they do because they're the winners. They're the winners in Alcoholics Anonymous. And follow their lead. Follow what they do because... If you follow the others, you're going to go down the drain or go the direction that they go. Whatever, whoever you follow, you're going to do what they do. So, I started doing that to the best of my ability. He suggested that I go early, get early to an AA meeting. He said, when you're new, he said, the earlier you get there, the better. And he said, I want you to stay until the meeting is over. And I don't mean until they say the Lord's Prayer, Dick. I mean until people, all the people are leaving, then you leave with them. You don't be the first one out the door. And he said the reason for that is if you come early, you can get to know the people, 
and you can shake hands and introduce yourself to the people that you don't know. And after the meeting, you can circulate around and talk to the people there. You can talk about what was said at the meeting. You can talk about anything that you want to talk about. And you can make friends and develop relationships with these people. And what happens is you, that you begin to be a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you begin to feel like that you're a part of it. You begin to feel like that you're part of a fellowship. And he said, we really think that it's best to get into fellowship before you try to get into any other kind of relationship. And he said, well, we want you to try to do that. And so I did. And I did what he asked me to do. I believe today that I suggest to the guys that I sponsor that, you know, that they shake hands and introduce themselves to at least five people that they don't know at a meeting so that they can get to know them. And that that doesn't mean that they have to stop at that five. They can continue and introduce themselves to more and more and more. And the more you do that, you'll end up finding that you shake hands with a lot of people that you've already, that you know when you go to a meeting. <clears throat> as well as you introduce yourself to strangers. And maybe that stranger that you're introducing yourself to is a new person. Maybe they've never been to AA. And maybe if you introduce yourself to them, it'll make them feel a little welcome and a little more comfortable. And maybe that'll work for you. And uh, I did that, and I've done it ever since I've been in AA, and I feel much, much, much better about my life as an end result. I... Uh, I found that the next thing that my sponsor suggested that I do was to get to some meetings early enough that I could help set up the chairs or that I could help make coffee, uh, to stay at some meetings uh, and help them clean up afterwards. But always clean up after yourself. Always pick up your chair and somebody else's and put it away. Always, if it's a speaker meeting, you go up and you shake hands with the speaker and you thank them because they're giving, they're giving AA the best they can at that moment and thank them for doing that. You don't have to thank them because they gave a wonderful talk, but just simply thank them before they, because they're making an effort and they're making an effort on your behalf. They're trying to carry a message to you. So thank them. Say thank you to them. And the thank you can be, thank God I'm not as sick as that sound bitch, you know. It doesn't make it as what the thank you means. Just say thank you. And thank every speaker. That way you don't have to make any judgment on whether they made a good talk or a bad talk. Just thank them. It's simple. It's really simple. Just say thank you. The other thing, another thing that I was, that I was, uh, led to believe that if in fact that I was an alcoholic and I knew that I was when I got there, uh, then perhaps I could see that my alcoholism had brought me to the point where I had to do something about it, even to the point where I had to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, of all the dreary places to go in my mind. And he said, if it comes to that point where you can't manage your life any better than that, he says, it must be pretty obvious to you that your life is unmanageable. And I said, yes, it is. And it was. I mean, I owed all kinds of money that I couldn't pay back, and it was just, I had a screwed up life. I had screwed up relationships. I had a screwed up employment. Everything about my life was just goofy. And there's no way that I could see that it could be anything but goofy. And he said, what I suggest you do is to 
Let AA, if you need a new manager in your life, that you're not doing well at it, why don't you let AA be your manager? And I looked at him and I said, well, I don't understand. How do you, how do you let AA be your manager? And, uh, he said, I will show you. I will show you how to do that. And he showed me how to do that. By example, he showed me how to live the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is, <clears throat> which is a principal program for people who are unprincipled. And that is to say that they are not beyond the reach of anybody, the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a principal program for people who are unprincipled. And he said, you can learn to live a principled life and be happy about it. I thought, well, maybe you can. But I'll be damned if I'll ever, you know. I, I just can't do those things. I can't be honest, for an example. I can't be honest with myself. And most of the time I lied when the truth would tell, would serve me better. And I just, I just thought I could never do that. I just thought it was impossible. It was an impossible thing. But he told me it was okay. Don't worry about it. What we're looking for is growth, not perfection. We're not looking for you to be perfect when you come into Alcoholics Anonymous. What we're doing is looking for you to get better after you come into Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I said, okay, you know, if you can put up with Whatever I am, then I'll keep coming back. And I said this to myself. He told me something else. He said, you know, if you stay in Alcoholics Anonymous and you stay sober and you stay active in AA, he said, most of your best friends, if not all of your best friends, will be other members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I thought to myself, huh, that's all right for you. You're obviously a fanatic. But uh, that's not going to be me. My sponsor really never lied to me. He honestly never lied to me because my best friends are in Alcoholics Anonymous. And they have been for many, many years. And I came to realize that pretty quickly. And I don't mean that I don't have friends outside of Alcoholics Anonymous, because I do. But my best friends are in here. And I think the reason for that is the fact that they know me. They know me like I know them. They know that I'm an alcoholic, and they're alcoholic, and therefore we are the same, that we have the same sort of attitudes about things, the same sort of a cynical, show-me attitude. And uh, that's what we do all the time in AA. We show other people. We act our way into a new way of thinking. And he said, you cannot think yourself into a new way of acting. There's no way that you're going to think your way into into being non-alcoholic. He said, so what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to act your way into thinking that it's okay to be alcoholic. And so I went to AA meetings, and gradually I became accustomed to the idea of being alcoholic, and it just didn't bother me. So... I came to Alcoholics Anonymous really because I was an alcoholic and my life was unmanageable. And I put a new manager in my life. And the new manager that I put in my life was my sponsor translating AA for me. And my sponsor became my higher power. And people said to me then, and I hear it now in AA, you know, you can't use a human being for a higher power. That's a terrible thing to do. You know, that's a blasphemy, those religious people would say. And uh, I said, it works for me. 
And now that I'm a little more sophisticated about it, I can say, you know, when I'm, when I've got a problem, I want to talk to God and get an answer. But I want to talk to something. I want to talk to somebody. I want to talk to God that has skin on it. Because I can see them and I can see the re- reflection of their intent towards me in their eyes. And I know that they intend well for me and therefore I can be convinced that I can take a certain action in order to improve my life. In order to be happy about what's going on. If their intent is good well towards me, then I can take the action and I'll be okay. It may even be the wrong action. It may not solve the problem, but what will end up happening is it will make me comfortable. Comfortable to to the point where I can find the answer to my own problem. I need to have comfort in my life. I need to have my mind uncluttered so that I can think properly. So that I can think and so I can be exposed to what the proper answer is and so I can be aware of the answer when it's given to me, when I hear it. And I know what it is. And I need to be clear of mind so that I can continue the action that gave me that so that I can continue to feel good and decently clean about myself. So, he told me that I could call him at any time. He says, you can call me at work, you can call me at home, you can call me in the middle of the night, you can call me in the morning, I don't care when you call me. He said, but bear one thing in mind. He said, I like to sleep. And if after 11 o'clock you have some problem that you can't live with until morning, for God's sake, pick up the phone and call. But if you can handle it until morning, call me in the morning because I like to get a good night's sleep. I thought that was reasonable. I thought it was very reasonable. And I called him at all kinds of times of day and night and so on and so forth. And he never failed to respond. He never failed to respond in a favorable way towards me. And he never failed to listen. He never failed to be helpful. Uh, he said, you know, you don't have to call up and, and say, hey, I, I feel like taking a drink. You can just call up and say, you know, you say, just say you don't feel comfortable. Or just call up and say, ask me how I am. And we'll have an AA conversation. And he says, after the conversation is over, you'll feel better. You don't have to say what the problem is even. But you'll feel better. He says, eventually you might talk about the problem as you feel more comfortable. And as you do that, perhaps we can find some action that will take you to the point where you can find an answer to your problem. Where we can find an answer. Not you. I don't have to do it by myself anymore. I don't have to find the answer. I can go with others and find the answer. And I can be secure in the fact that they have taken these actions that I'm taking that will lead, that led them to their answer, I can be secure that as an eventuality they will lead me to my answer and that I can feel comfortable with that answer and that I can stay sober and I can be more comfortable, a comfortable human being. My sponsor taught me those things because he felt that way himself. Because someone did that for him, he did it for me. And he valued what had been done for himself so much that he was willing to pass that along and and, uh, give it to someone else. He taught me about commitment. 
he taught me that in order for anything to work, that I had to be committed to it, that I had to make up my mind that I was going to attempt to do it to the best of my ability. And he said, whatever it is, you only have to do it a day at a time, but you have to make a commitment to do it at least a day at a time. And it wasn't too long after that that I that I thought to myself, and I can remember driving down the street with him, and I said, you know, notice how I phrased this, because you can tell where I was when I say it. I said, you know, you people in AA talk about staying sober a day at a time. Now, when I said you people in AA, that means that I didn't consider myself in AA at that time. But I said, you people in AA talk about staying sober a day at a time. But I said, you know, you're not fooling me at all, because you mean to do that forever. And he says, you're beginning to catch on a little bit. And I said, huh, forever. And he said, yeah. He says, it's not bad, the idea of staying sober forever for the rest of your life, if you can do it in small pieces, if you can do it in one little piece. He said, because you're an alcoholic, and once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. And if you stop drinking for five years or 20 years and you go back to drinking, you're going to go back to it and your physical condition will have deteriorated because you're older. And it is going to be as if you had been drinking all along. And the effect on alcohol on your body will be much greater than it would have been had, uh, uh, than it would be right now. And so if I can tell you right now, if the effect of alcohol on my body would be greater to, on me today than it was then 22, 23 years ago, I need to stay sober, maybe a little more desperately than you do, maybe a little more desperately than you do, because my chances of survival are worse than yours if I were to drink again. So as an end result, I know and recognize today that I need AA today more than I needed it when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, if you can understand what I'm talking about. I really think that I need it more today. I need to be reminded that I'm an alcoholic and that I can't drink safely and that I can live comfortably without drinking. And I need to be reminded more today of that than I did almost 23 years ago when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And that might sound goofy, but that's the truth. Because I would be, I would be affected by alcohol much greater today than I was affected by it then. And God knows I was affected by it very badly then. Bad enough that I went to AA. I mean, how bad can you get? He, uh, he told me not to worry about sleeplessness. He said, you probably aren't going to be able to sleep very well at first. And he says, don't worry about that. That'll be okay. You'll be able to live through it. He said, you can catch up on some of your reading. You might try reading the big book while you're lying there in a sleepless night. Or whatever else it is that you haven't read over the past years of your life that you want to catch up on. And he said, you know, when you're, you're going to be nervous at first when you're in AA. And he said, don't worry about that. He said, because nervousness is good. It's very good for people who are recovering. And the reason why it is is because it makes you more alert and you're able to be more aware and to catch on to what's going on around you and, and know the need for what's being said and know the need of the actions. 
So he said, it's okay to be nervous. And uh, so I was, I just said, okay, and I just continued to be nervous. And, oh, what the hell? As if I had a choice. But he told me, it, you know, that I might uh, I might start itching as a matter of withdrawal from alcohol. And what, if my skin started itching, what I could do is I could put a little baby oil in the bathtub and uh, just get in there and soak down. He says, every time you take a bath, take a bath with a teaspoon of baby oil. And he says, you'll be, you'll be fine. Your skin will be nice and soft and tender. And uh, he told me that you may wake up at night or in the morning and your limbs may be asleep. Your arms may be asleep or your legs may be asleep. And he said, that's a natural condition because your drinking has hurt your circulation and it's hurt your nerve endings in your extremities and as an end result of that, it's going to take some time to repair that. And so it'll be time, but in time, you're, won't, you'll wake up and you won't have your arms or legs or arms and legs won't be asleep. They'll feel okay. And he told me of things, that physical things, that I was going to be feeling. And he told me how I could expect to react to them, and he told me what I could do about them so that I could feel more comfortable about, about what was going on and I didn't have to hey, call him up in the middle of the middle, you know, four o'clock. I just woke up, my legs were asleep. <laughs> I ever everyone do that and I'll say, Oh, why don't you wake him up? <laughs> he uh he taught me, he said, you know, if you're in financial trouble, he said the best thing for you to do is don't spend money. Now I didn't understand that. That doesn't make any sense. And I said, what do you mean don't spend money? He says, don't spend money that you don't have to spend. And pay off the debts that you have, and then maybe you'll have the luxury a little later on of being able to spend some money frivolously. But he says, right now you can't do that. And he was right, I couldn't. And basically I didn't. He told me that he wanted me to talk about, talk to him about things, any major changes in my life forever before I started, before I put them into action so far that they couldn't be stopped. He said, I want you to talk about them before you do something, not afterwards. Don't make the decision and call me and tell me I've, I've done this. He said, call me up and tell me what you're thinking about doing. And he said, as you, as you tell me that, then what we can do is if, if, if that's the best thing for you to do, as you and I see it to be, then we can find the best direction to do that in. We can look at the alternatives of accomplishing what you want to accomplish and together make a decision on which direction to go, which alternative to take. And hopefully it would be the best decision. And he says, after we do that, I want you to let me know how it goes. I want you to report back to me how that is going in your life, how you're, how that's working. And as you do, if you go along and it's not so good, then we can always change and go to another one. But we can change it before it impinges on your life and hurts or harms you if we just go on do these things a day at a time to the best of your ability. And I had a lot of things going on in my life. I was divorced. I had two kids by that marriage. I was living with my widowed mother and my maiden sister. That's no place for a 33-year-old man to live. 
I'd gone back to Mommy because Mommy was the only place I could go that didn't charge rent. And uh, I didn't want to go back there. But I went back there and I lived there. And I lived there for almost a year. And uh, as a result of doing that, I was able to pay off my debts and get squared away so that I could at least financially start off at a point where it, my financial my finances were livable. They weren't wonderful, but they were livable. It's never wonderful when you're paying alimony and child support. So I did that every month on time until I no longer had the responsibility to do it. One of them I did for 18 years. It's all right. Sent that kid a birthday card not too long ago. Put a check in it. Sent me back a thank you card. The thank you card he sent back was Robert Martin. This is on the back of the check. Thanks, Dad. That was a thank you note. Hey, it's better than the last one. The last one it was just Robert Martin. You know, that's only that was the thank you note I got at Christmas. This is an improvement. You know, so I'm looking. Things are looking up. <laughs> really developing a relationship with that kid. He's <laughs> Jesus. But I don't have to do anything about that except to be open to improve the relationship and do those things that a father should do. I can act like a father. I can't be a father, but I can act like a father. And a father would send his son a birthday gift. So I send my son a birthday gift on his birthday. And I can act like I'm a father, even if I'm not a father, to him. And I learned that it's okay to do that. I learned that it's okay, even if you don't feel like a man, or if you don't feel like a woman, it's okay to act like a man, and act like a woman, and not be a wimp, and not... Bow in to your own fears. I've learned that I don't have to act like I'm afraid. I can take the action of walking through the fear and look back on it and say, Oh, I could go all the way to Massachusetts and back with fear all the way. And I could come back and I'd say, Oh, gee, that wasn't so bad. The answer to fear and the answer to all of the problems that I have now or I ever have had or I ever will have, will have, the answer is in the solution. Now that sounds like it's an odd thing to say, but the answer to all of my problems is, comes as a result of the action that I take. If I take a positive action towards anything, I have a positive result. If I take a negative action, oh, this isn't going to work, and I'm going to be unhappy. If I go in it like that, it is. It's going to be that way. It's going to be the way that I make it. But if I act like it's a good deal, then it's a good deal. And if I act like it's a bad deal, it's a bad deal. And all I have to do is to make up my mind whether I want to be in the solution or in the problem. And I was taught 
early on that the solution is a hell of a lot more fun than the problem. And I kind of knew that. And it's more fun to get well than it is to stay sick. It's more fun to take an action and see what will happen with hopes that it will turn out okay, just okay, than it is to be afraid of it and to be resentful of it and just let it go and drag, and drag me along with it because it would drag me right down to the bottom. So the answer is in the solution. And the solution is the action that you take. And if you take the action in a positive way, you're going to get a positive reaction to it. And if you take it in a negative way, you're going to get a negative reaction to it. And I swear it will happen every time. Absolutely every time. Regardless of what they do. Regardless of how bad they react to your action. If you take the action and it's a positive principle action, then you will get positive principled results regardless of what they do. And it works, and it works every time. It's worked every time in my life that I've ever ever tried it, and it's worked every time in my life when I wasn't trying it and doing it. And I look back on it and say, oh, that did work, didn't it? Huh. Should have to try that again. So what I want to do is I want to stay in the solution. And the solution for me, an alcoholic, is Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not something else. I'm an alcoholic. I am that foremost and primary. And so I have to be an Alcoholics Anonymous in order to resolve my alcoholism. Uh, I could, we could go through a retinue of whether I'm a recovered alcoholic or I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I'll let you argue about that the next time you go to a discussion meeting. Bring it up. I can tell you that, you know, you'll get all kinds of answers. And if you would ask me tonight, I might say that I'm a recovered alcoholic. Later on this evening, I might say I'm recovering. I don't know. That doesn't make any difference what I am. I just know that I'm an alcoholic. And that as an end result of my alcoholism, I am in AA for one very simple thing. I'm in here because I can stay sober comfortably in here, and I couldn't stay sober comfortably out there. And AA works. It's a very practical, simple thing. It's nothing complex or complicated. I uh, I felt that it was that it was proper, and I was told that what I should do is I should go where my sponsor went, and that I should. Uh, if he was speaking, I should go where he was speaking, if it, all, if it was at all possible for me to do so, if it was all, at all reasonable for me to do so, that I should go there. And the reason is that, very simply, I think that he, I think, to tell you the truth, I think that he thought that he knew the answer for me, or he knew the solution or the actions for me. And he didn't want it to get jumbled up so I would go off to the side somewhere. And I think probably in the first year I was sober, I probably heard him speak 200 times. I could have given his talk as good as he gave it, to tell you the truth. And uh, he taught me that Alcoholics Anonymous is a place where, as an eventuality, you may find yourself wishing to stay here. And uh, he said, don't try to make any emotional decisions. He, he suggested that there's an awful lot of good-looking gals around AA, 
but that I shouldn't look at Alcoholics Anonymous through my fly, that I should just keep my fly zipped up, and I'd probably stay out of a lot of trouble. And uh, he said, uh, the best thing for you to do is just imagine uh, an evening with one of those young ladies. And you just imagine it every time you go to a meeting for about seven or eight times. And he said, after seven or eight times seeing her, he said, the chances are you wouldn't want to have anything to do with her anyway. <laughs> he said, it kind of save you a lot of trouble. Girls, that works the other way, too, I can tell you. It really does. It really does. So he wanted me to go to meetings. He wanted me to uh he wanted me to regularly attend AA. He wanted me to not turn down any AA requests. That is to say, if I was requested to speak or participate in the AA in any fashion, if it was at all possible for me to do so, and even if I had to go out of my way to do it, that I should honor that request. And when I say honor the request, that means do it with honor, do it with integrity, do it the best you can. And uh, he told me, he said, you know, after you've been sober for a while, he said, you're going to end up adjusting your meetings somewhat. You're not going to be going every night. And uh, I said, well, how will I know, how do I know what to do? I said, how many meetings should I go to? How, you know. What should I do on that? And he said, there are two times to go to meetings. He said, when you want to and when you don't want to. And he said, when you want to, obviously you're going to go. And when you don't want to, you obviously should go. And he said, by the way, as you get more sober, you will find that there's a time somewhere in between. And whatever that time is in between, call me first to make sure. But maybe you can stay home that night. Okay, that was all right. That was a fair deal. So I did that. After I'd been sober for a while, I learned in AA that the chances of being able to stay sober on a continued basis on one meeting a week wasn't too good. And the reason for that is, no matter how you work the calendar, if you're going to one meeting a week, at some point in time, that night, is going to fall on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve the next week. And you can't help it. It's just going to work that way. And, you know, you just can't change the calendar because that's the way it works. And he said, so maybe you have a conflict and you can't go on Christmas Eve and you can't go on New Year's Eve. Maybe you plan to do something else. And that means that there will be a period of three weeks where you won't won't have been at AA. Three weeks. He said, that's a long time. And he said, when the time comes that you can return to AA and go back to a meeting, you'll probably think to yourself, you know, I haven't been to a meeting for three weeks, and I feel fine. I think I'll just stay home tonight. And he said, you'll stay home. And as an eventuality, most of the people who do that also drink. Not all of them, but most of those people drink. And he said, I will point to, point out to you some people who have done that and have come back to Alcoholics Anonymous as they come back. And he did. And he pointed out a guy that had been sober for 17 years. And he came back to Alcoholics Anonymous and he was, he was a, we would call him a street person today, but he was a derelict. He was a bum. And he had had the hardwood floor franchise for, uh, uh, 
Washington, D.C. area after the war when they were building all of the houses that they were building and they put hardwood floors on them. And he was a multi-multi-millionaire and he lost every damn bit of it. He went back to drinking and lost every bit of it. And I saw him come back to AA and he never did get to stay sober again. He died drunk. So he said one meeting a week ain't going to hack it. He said two meetings a week you can stay sober. But he says, I don't think that you can really be happy, and I don't think that you can really grow. And he said, I think on three meetings a week that you can get, that you can't can be happy, and that you can do pretty good, and that your life will work out all right. But he said, on four meetings you can you can believe this to be true, that you will have continued growth in your life, and you will continue to grow in a spiritual fashion, so that you get along better and better and better. With God as you learn to understand him over a period of time and your fellow man. Mostly you will learn to get along with your fellow man because that's where you will mostly see it and feel it. And that's what I recommend that you do. And uh, as an end result of that, he, uh, he said that, uh, he said that way, he said, if you do that, he said, you're never going to have to go into psychiatry. You're never going to have to visit a psychologist. You're never going to have to do that unless you're one of those minority members in Alcoholics Anonymous. He said about 5% of the general public need some help outside of themselves. They need some psychological help. And he said in AA it's about the same. About 5% of the people in AA need some psychological or neurological adjustment that AA, that they can't get out of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, so the chances are that if you stay in the treatment program of Alcoholics Anonymous, that you're going to do well and that you're going to uh, uh, do well with and feel well with. And so that's what I've done. I've been in treatment almost 23 years. It's, it's a real bitch. <laughs> But uh, I did a fifth step with my sponsor, and he shared himself with me, and we had been doing this off and on, and sat down and did it one afternoon in his backyard. And I want you to know that I shared the, some of the things that I'd done. He shared some of the things that he had done. He did some things that I never even thought about doing. I mean, really, I never, Jesus, no, I never thought. I've been thinking about doing them ever since. <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get there. He taught me that, he says, when you go to an AA meeting, act interested. Feign interest. Pretend to be interested, even if you're not interested. And he said, if you act interested, you will become interested. And you will become, you'll feel more, much more a part of what's going on around you. And so I tried to do that. Um, you know, the I think that the real thing about Alcoholics Anonymous, as presented to me by my sponsor, was that through some very simple, practical things, some very simple, practical things, that I was able to take some simple, practical actions which made me feel comfortable with myself, which made me feel like a man, which made me feel equal to other people, 
which made me feel decent, which made me feel clean on the inside, which made me feel like I had some dignity, which made me feel like I could do those things that I always wanted to do. It made me feel like I could exercise the integrity and the honesty that I had within me. It made me think that I could be a good father and a good husband and a good son and a good brother and a good employee. It made me think that I could do those things. It made me think that I could really do them. Not maybe do them, but really do them and really be that person that I wanted to be. I, uh, he taught me that uh, if I do those things, that something is going to happen to me and that I'm really not going to regret the past. That I won't regret those things that I've done because I will come to realize that it took everything that I did to get me where I am today. It took all of the experiences that I've had to get me where I am today. And he said, you will have some appreciation for your own life and knowing that it took those things to get you there. I don't think that I took one drink too many at all. I think I just had the right amount to drink. I've come to the conclusion that perhaps if I'd have had one less drink, I'd have still been out there drinking. Or if I'd have had one more drink, I never would have come to Alcoholics Anonymous. So I believe that I had just the right amount for me. And if I've had just the right amount, I sure as hell don't want any more. He taught me that even if sometimes that I thought that maybe I wasn't an alcoholic, and he said, by the way, only alcoholics question whether they're alcoholics or not. Non-alcoholics don't wonder whether they're alcoholic or not. Alcoholics wonder whether they're alcoholic or not. If you're sitting here tonight wondering whether you're an alcoholic or not, let me ask you a question. Do you wonder whether I'm an alcoholic or not? You don't really doubt that at all. You don't doubt that I'm an alcoholic. I don't doubt that you are either. So why don't you just stay? <laughs> simple. It's just simple. Let's, let's not make this thing complicated. If you're in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you're not an alcoholic, what in the hell are you doing here? I mean, people just don't go to AA meetings willy-nilly and, and with, oh, gee, I, I think I, I'm not doing anything this evening. There's not much on TV. I, I just think, I'll call, I'll find out where there's an AA meeting and see what AA is. And people don't do that. I mean, they just don't do that. And you didn't do it either. And I didn't do it. We're here because we're alcoholics. We're here because we have a permanent, progressive, terminal disease that people die from. People die as a result of their alcoholism. And I don't want to die. And I don't mean the little deaths where you are broke or your spouse leaves you or you lose your job because those are little deaths. I don't mean those, but I mean the kind of death where they lay out in the box. People die that way. People die from alcoholism. Most of them die because they commit suicide or they die in some accidental manner. It takes a long time to drink yourself to death. A long time. And I can tell you, I don't want to drink myself to death. I don't want to go through that anymore. That's, if I could, if I could, if I could 
there's sometimes I could drink and just die then, you know, especially when I was new, that'd be okay. But my plight in life is that probably what would happen that I would get drunk and get sober and get drunk and get sober over and over and over again. With my luck, I couldn't die quickly. I'd just have to stumble through life that way or be incarcerated for the rest of my life, either insane or in jail, one way or the other. So I think that what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay sober for the rest of my life. And I think that I'm going to attempt to do that just simply one day at a time. I'm going to not take that first drink today. And my day starts now. I'm going to begin my day now. I don't have to wait until tomorrow morning when I wake up to begin my day. I can start my 24 hours at this moment. My day can be begin right now. Because, you know, i got news for you. I can't do anything about anything that's in the past. Everything that's in the past is all gone. So I'm going to have to take care of what's here right now. And I'm going to have to do what I can do now. Because I can't do in the past. And I cannot do in the future. So I've just got to be here, where I am right now, and do what I can do right now. I can plan for the future, not plan the outcome. I can leave that up to my higher power to figure out what that's going to be. Because every time I try to figure out what exactly is going to happen in the future, it drives me crazy. And I just don't want to go crazy. So I don't try to project what the answer is to any action. I just take the action and see where it leads me. It's kind of funny what's happened to me as an end result of being sponsored and being a sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous. And the funny thing about it is that, that I have learned to be the person that I wanted to be. I've learned to be a good husband. I've learned to be a good father. I've learned to be a good brother. I've learned to be a good employee. I've learned to be a good neighbor. I've learned to be a man among men. I've learned to be a member among members. I've learned to get along with other people. I've learned to love other people. I've learned to care for them. And as an end result, what has happened is that they treat me like I'm a man. They treat me like I'm a man among men. My wife treats me like a husband. My children, the ones that are, the one that's around, <laughs> treats me like a father. I'm treated with respect. My friends treat me with respect and kindness. And I feel good on the inside. I feel like I've always wanted to feel. And what I've always wanted to feel like was that somehow or another that I could do and be a good, decent human being. And I feel today that I'm a good and decent human being and that I have nothing to be ashamed of and that I can walk with dignity anywhere I walk and I don't have to be afraid. I have help to do that. I have a sponsor that I talk to on a regular basis, and he is able to give me actions to take that will be able to continue that process, and I'm sure that I can continue that process one day at a time for the rest of my life. And if that's the way you want to feel, I know that you can do that too. All you have to do is to try. All you have to do is to try. Thank you very much.
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.